Welcome to a special episode of our Rainmaker Multiplier On Demand series brought to you by Clarity to Prosperity. For more information on the Rainmaker Multiplier process and a list of all podcasts in this series, visit claritytoprosperity.com. Today we're going to be talking about practice management, which is a pretty broad topic, right? And we figured, you know, some of the key things that we can have a discussion on and some of the people I invited because they're subject matter experts or have a lot of experience in this area. You know, some of it, which is Rob LaCivita and Carl Smith, Jennifer Macker. Who else do we got? I think you guys are the main ones, but everybody can participate. But yeah, I think what we'll talk a little bit about is how to find good people, right? And, And whether it be operational kind of administrative support people, or whether it is people that are more on the career path to become an advisor, right? Whether they're early in their career and maybe working backstage a little bit in an administrative or support kind of role, but with the intention of becoming an advisor or, or latter stage ones that are already advisors that you're, are joining your firm. So we can talk a little bit about how to find them, best practices there, some of the resources, and then even when you do find them, right? How are some, what are some of the things we're doing to make them more efficient, more effective, make their job easier, onboard them, train them? What are some of the things we've done in that area? And then just broadly what that advisor career path looks like and, and even the compensation right? For the different levels or rungs, we call them within the advisory career path. So yeah, love questions along the way. So type things into the chat box if you're more comfortable doing that, or just unmute yourself and just, you know, jump right in. But, but let's start with, let's start with the topic, kind of go to the beginning, right? All right. We, we've kind of realized that we need to bring on a team member. And let's say that it's an operational team member. We're not really looking somebody to bring on somebody that's gonna become an advisor. We more need someone who's gonna be a dedicated support role and help us more administratively, operationally. So Jennifer Macker, like, you know, where, where would we start if we're starting to feel the pain a little bit, like we're, we're over capacity or our team members are over capacity, you know, what's the best practice of kind of where to start, do you think, in identifying who to hire? Sure. Well, I think that happens a lot, right? I mean, which is a good thing. You're growing, you have more clients to help and you need more, you need more support. So I think the very first thing is identifying what, in fact, you need. Maybe you've got someone who's addressing every single thing operationally within the company. Maybe you've got a couple people doing that, but it's determining what needs to be removed from their core responsibilities and seeing what is actually needed for that new hire. So there's the best way to do that, and I can certainly jump into one of our processes we've developed, but it's... And it sounds silly, but it's just an exercise of putting, writing down or documenting all the things that are all the core functions, putting them on a table, shifting them around into piles or whatnot of of the existing, the new, what needs to be shed from someone, what's what's something that's not a unique or core ability that those that individual has, 
what's something that your current team absolutely hates doing and it would be better served elsewhere. And that's really the, that whole exercise is the responsibility agreement cards that we have and you have access to within our e-learning module for those with C2P. So responsibility agreement cards really just list those core functions or core responsibilities. You're shifting them around on the table, seeing, seeing what needs to remain with your current team member or members and what needs to be moved to a different or new hire. And then from there, of course, you can take the next steps to really solidify things. But I think that would be the first step to determine what, in fact, you actually need. Yeah, Jennifer, remember that video we did forever ago? Who was in that video? We did Holly, like your wife. Yep, Holly, you, I can't, oh, goodness. It was a good, Were it was a long it? time ago. I don't remember, but anyway. It's a classic. And, and it, we literally went through the exercise because that is what you do. You take these responsibility agreement cards and you sit down with your existing team members and you determine who's holding what cards right now, who's doing what. And then as you talk through and have an open conversation, okay, like if we hire someone else, what cards might we want to get rid of? What cards could we move off of ourselves as a team onto this new person? And that's a starting point of how we determine what their, you know, what their job description is going to be and therefore Jason, let them in that. Jason, I guess nine, 10 years ago, you and Gina came down to my office, spent a couple of days and we went through that. And one of the things that we, we, we realized is that as we grew, we would bring in, we started with an administrator and as we grew, we moved the administrator up, brought in a new administrator. And all of a sudden, because we hadn't done the Colby's or the disc or anything of that nature, we had the right people on the bus, but they were all in the wrong seats. So it's an extremely important exercise to do what you were just talking about, you and Jen. And it, it made my office run, you know, like a, like a Rolex since then. You're going back in time, Carl. So this is back when we started CCP. I went to... Don Chamberlain's office, Greg Hammer's office, Carl Smith's office, and introduced this whole process of doing the responsibility agreements. And I tell you what, it doesn't matter how big your firm is or how small your firm is. And I'll tell you, all of our firms were small back then. You know, you're going back nine, 10 years ago. I mean, it was like, I think I had a total of maybe five team members. Greg, you probably had three or four. Carl, you were probably around four or five. I mean, we had all small teams, but it doesn't matter if it's just you and an administrative assistant. It doesn't matter if it's just you right now. What you got to do is every one of these responsibility agreement cards is something that is being done. You're either outsourcing it to someone to do it, or you're not doing it at all, which is no good, right? Or, or, somebody, so, but some, or somebody's doing it, whether it's you, you have one team member, you have two team members. So the clarity that it brings to who's doing what and ultimately who's accountable for what, and then, and then identifying if you do want to bring a new team member, moving those things around. So highly recommend everybody have these in place just for the clarity. And the other thing it gets rid of is, you know, what I used to call drive-by delegation, right? A lot of times the business owner or a lead advisor will just be like whoever's closest to them 
they delegate to them. And it's like, this isn't my responsibility, but whoever's closest, that's who they're giving it to. And, it, you know, it kind of makes it awkward, you know, it could, because now all of a sudden they know maybe it was supposed to go somebody else or they just do it. So just having that clarity as to who's supposed to do what can be really, really beneficial. Yeah, it, it is really amazing that it's such a simple document. I mean, so you start with the cards and they you determine using them who's doing what. And then when you actually have that person or people in place, the responsibility agreements are a expanded version of the card that really lists every responsibility. And what's so amazing, it's it, it's nothing crazy. It's a very simple document, but truly without it, it's chaos. But with it, you have direction. And it's just something that's so, so simple that lends incredible value to your organization and everyone in it. You know, and even going back, like, so we're, I'm literally doing this exercise again now with my, my direct reports, Dave Allison, Jennifer Macker, Rob Lasivita, who's on this call. You know, I went through and I asked them to do an exercise strategic coach teaches. It's called an activity inventory. And it's actually how responsibility agreements originally, it's how like they kind of got thought of, how I thought them up, you know, to create them was strategic coach in doing an activity inventory. And the purpose of it is what happens over time is people get really busy and they start saying yes to a lot of different things. And then they get overwhelmed and then they start working over capacity. And you don't want to be working over capacity. You don't want to be doing it as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, as a lead advisor, and you don't want your teams working over capacity because eventually they start doing a subpar job. They start burning out. Sometimes they even leave, right? And so, you know, we were undergoing some kind of, you know, people have feeling like they were at work in a capacity, looking at some structural changes at C2P even, and, and JL Smith with, with Rob doing the exercise. And so I asked everybody to do an activity inventory. An activity inventory is where you go through and you, ident you, you identify everything you do. And it kind of takes a couple weeks, right? But whether it's answering emails and client phone calls and, and so on, but you list out every single category of what you're, everything that you do on a couple week basis work related. And so everybody has gone through this exercise more recently and did this. And then what you do is you rank everything you do and you rank it in four categories. So the first category is incompetent. Incompetent means you suck at it and somebody else should be doing it, right? And so there, you know, ultimately sometimes you get caught into doing incompetent activities. The second of the four categories, competent. Competent means you can get it done, but ultimately there's people that could do it better than you, right? But that's the second category. The third category is an excellent category. Excellent means you're really good at it. Maybe there's nobody else that can do it maybe as good as you in the firm. And so you're excellent at it. And then the fourth and final category is unique ability. Unique ability is something you're excellent at, but it gives you energy versus something you're excellent at that it's not your unique ability takes your energy away. So for example, if you do something and you're, you're, you're working in your unique ability, 
you could do it for eight hours straight. And at the end of the eight hours, you're still on fire and full of energy. You're not dragging, you're not burnt out, you're not out of energy. Your, your unique ability is in that category, but in an excellent category, you might do that for eight hours and you killed it, but you're dropping dead, exhaust, exhausted, because it took energy from you. So in doing this exercise, it's really healthy as a team, and it leads to ultimately the responsibility agreement discussion that you can have with your existing team members. So you're having people try to take off incompetent and competent activities as much as you can and having them work in the areas that are unique ability and excellent. And you just take it one step at a time in doing that. And that's how we created these responsibility agreements. All right. Well, what else are we talking about? Yeah. It also takes you to a position where you're not micromanaging your people. And it, I think it's the first step in being able to get past the ceiling of complexity that most of us as entrepreneurs have in our growth period. Absolutely. And, and how to best kind of tie all these things together as well is, you know, we've adopted EOS, Entrepreneurial Operating System. That's how we structure and run our organization. And it provides this kind of rhythm of communication with your staff as well, right? You do weekly one-on-ones half hour check-in, but you're really just talking about the work, right? You know, for us, I, I meet with the advisors and kind of confirm what's in their pipeline, uh, asset amount, closing dates, meet with the backstage, make sure that, you know, the pending business is, is being addressed and really just talking about the nuts and bolts of that weekly on our, on our one-on-one. Then we do these quarterly conversations, right? We're asking what's working, what's not working. It's a little bit of a longer conversation and you're kind of diving into some of the details that are the broader, broader picture details with the team on those quarterly conversations. And then you have your annual review, right? Where you're kind of going over the, the responsibility agreements and position contracts and all those things and really kind of tying it all together. So I think not only putting these tools in place, but having a strategy and a schedule to be able to execute upon them and, and keep that constant communication with the team is, is the way to kind of not just kind of do something, put it on the shelf, but just keep, you know, making sure that's really ingrained in your practice and that you're doing it on a consistent basis. We did something, I, I don't mean to interrupt, we did something like this, the act, activity inventory. We did this a couple of years ago. And what we found in our office was that when we were doing the things that were competent or incompetent, it took us three times as long to get something done. But when we were working with our, within our unique ability, it was like, wow, got that done, got that check mark. And it, it, it just, you're on fire when you're doing things that are within your unique ability and, and you're, you're dragging along things to get things done when you're incompetent about them or barely competent. Does that make sense? Yeah. Absolutely. Thanks, Louise. Built on the foundation of the award-winning bucket plan process, Clarity to Prosperity's proven processes, training, and coaching can help you increase your revenue. If you are a growth-minded, independent financial advisor, you qualify for a free copy of the bucket plan book. Go to claritytoprosperity.com forward slash offer to get your free book today. That's claritytoprosperity.com forward slash offer. I think, you know, it's probably a good, you know, good, good pivot to talking about. So we talked about operational team members, 
and how to identify maybe, you know, what you're going to have them do, right? You look at your current team, you look at what they're currently doing, and then you line up those things and the activity inventory with the responsibility agreements, and then determine which one of those responsibility agreements do you want to get off of your plate or your team members' plates so you can go out and find a team, you know, find a new hire. And some of the best practices like a buy of, of finding an operational hire, you know, Rob, you could probably speak to. Obviously, we have the hiring advantage, you know, that's that's a process that Gina Pellegrini and I wrote a book on. And there's supporting e-learning modules for that. But Rob, what are some of the best practices for operational team members or resources that you found more recently that have been helpful? Sure. So resources for locating, Jason? Yeah. Or onboarding or both. Yes, yeah, so locating. Yeah. So we've you know, we've done a couple of things. We've worked with recruiters to identify them. You know, we put an ad out on Indeed that we sponsor. We, you know, use, you know, leverage LinkedIn as well. But one of the things that I actually found, there's a feature in Indeed where you can review resumes and invite people to apply to your role. It's time consuming. <laughs> I'm, certainly, you know, I'm not going to, certainly not going to sugarcoat it. Maybe some late nights, you know, just the laptop up and, and just kind of reviewing some resumes, inviting people to apply. And that's actually how we found, you know, our, our recent client service associates so uh, started about a month ago. It's kind yeah. of like a business version of Tinder where you just keep swiping and then you yeah. find somebody and you <laughs> click right. on it and invite them. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but yeah, it's a really powerful tool, right? And and we get a pretty got a pretty great response when you send out those invitations to apply. Probably ninety percent of the people who we invited to apply actually did apply, and that's where we found the person. So I would say don't get discouraged if you're not getting a lot of response initially from your ad. There are some other features, you know, at your disposal that you can use to find the right person. Yeah. I think like going from, so, so switching from operations to thinking about advisors, right? Of like, you, you want to bring on an advisor and, you know, whether that advisor is, you know, ultimately going to be more of a farmer in the long haul and mainly taking care of a lot of existing clients or new potential clients that you're just feeding this person, or you want more of a hunter that's gonna be going out there doing a lot of business development, you know, bringing new relationships to the firm. You know, I think a lot, a big mistake a lot of advisors make is they think they want a hunter because in their head, they're like, it's gonna pay for itself right away. But in reality, what they really need is a farmer. And they need to just offload a lot of their smaller clients to that advisor. And then, you know, new clients that join the firm that meet the firm minimum, but maybe are not a unique ability of that, the owner of the firm, because they want to work with the bigger clients, they can feed that to that more of a farmer type of advisor. But I think like, you know, looking at the five rungs, and, and I think most people are familiar you got client service associate that's more of a early or entry level type of rung of a future advisor. They're not an advisor yet. You might be bringing them in out of college or maybe it's a career change and they're going to spend some time doing tactical work that is but tactical work that's related to ultimately them learning things that will that will make them an advisor one day or prepare them to go to the next rung which is a pair planner. So at that second rung, 
they're really learning how to be a financial planner, financial advisor now, but they're doing it in the backstage. They're doing the financial modeling, the investment analysis, the tax modeling, the social security reports, putting family and state organizers, bucket plans together. They're learning how to be. By the time they finish rung two, they'll be a financial advisor and they'll be ready to go to rung three, which now you switch from the backstage to the front stage at rung three. And rung three, you're now sitting with the client. You're sitting with smaller clients, taking care of them. New, new smaller clients joining the firm, you're taking care of them. And most importantly, you're sitting second chair to the lead advisor or the owner of the firm, learning, supporting, listening, and continuing to grow and develop. And that's what's happening at that rung three. And then the four is a lead advisor. And in and, and a rung four, you should always have a second chair at all your meetings with you. Because at rung four, you've now proven yourself to be able to really work with those bigger clients and produce big results, right? So we want to free up lead advisors rung four by giving them a second chair. And then the fifth and final level is if you offer as an owner the opportunity to earn equity. And, you know, so that would be a practicing partner. That's a rainmaker, right? Now you absolutely are, you know, at that level of production and capability where you can, you know, you, you've earned the right to earn, you know, equity, whether it's a, a buy-in or whatever other way that you can earn your way to equity. So with that being said, though, you can enter in a, a new advisor at any of these five rungs, right? And so what you have to do is you have to look at your business and you have to do a little bit of like self-assessment and forecasting. Because if you want an advisor that you're going to be able to turn over a bunch of your clients to within the next year or two, you don't want to hire a rung one client service associate because at, at that rung one, they're going to spend, they're going to need to spend usually one to two years in that rung, even up to three years before they're ready to go to rung two. Then they're going to need to spend a year to three years in that rung also before they're ready to go front stage where they've learned enough to represent your firm and actually do a good job with the clients. Because too often the business owners try to speed up that process. And then who suffers? The client suffers. And then ultimately the firm suffers. So if you're looking to get somebody in, you know, in production or working with clients within the next few years, you probably need to be looking to bring somebody in at a rung two, right? Or possibly a rung three where they could hit the ground running right away as your second chair and have a pretty quick, you know, turnaround to be able to start working directly with clients even on their own. But if you bring them in at a rung three. At a rung two, they're probably going to need a year or two to learn your firm, learn the processes, and get ready before you can start turning them over clients to them. Yeah, you know, Jason, I've been real successful in bringing in Brandon. I think the biggest challenge of bringing in a successor is finding the right person. 
you know, and understanding, you know, who they are. The interview process, uh, when I brought him on, Gina was involved in it. My team was involved in it. In the last interview I did, I brought his wife in and really painted a, an ugly picture as to what he was going to go through to get there. And that solidified the deal because he had the staying power. And I'm taking Haley right now. Brandon went through the career path, basically. And he is a farmer. He's not a hunter. And Haley, we identified her as a hunter, but we took her, we're taking her or have taken her through to the career path over the last year. And I think it's going to make her a better hunter because she's also going to understand what it takes to keep the client there. So again, the, the biggest challenge is just finding the right person and uh, you know how to do that. And we live in a small community and we we have been able to hire people that we already know. And that's huge, you know. So, and it, you know, Brandon was doing audits for the federal government. Haley was our salesperson for the, for the newspaper. So if you want to hire, look at those people also. They could make you a really good, you know, employee. Great, great point, Tom. I think also like statistics, well, I don't want to say statistics don't lie because you can manipulate them, but, but basically if you look at like the investment news study, a more recent one, the lead advisor, the rung four is the least hired advisor of all five rungs because practicing partner can be mergers and acquisitions. You can, you know, you can bring somebody in at that rung five even, but like that rung four is the hardest one. And why, anybody have any ideas why the rung four percentage wise is the least hired of all the positions in the career path? So the reason why is because a couple, too many bad habits to change. Yep, Nick, that's good. That's real good. That's, that's one of the big things. And also if they're a lead advisor, they're probably have already earned some level of success in their career, right? To where, you know, they're not going to be making a change and they're too expensive. They are, they're going to be high, more highly compensated. And at the end of the day, if you think about it, if you hired a lead advisor in your firm, wouldn't you basically have to put them right into a second chair role because they got to learn. They got to learn all your processes, all your systems. I mean, unless you guys all came from the same RIA, the same broker dealer, the same using the same resources, whether it be the bucket plan planning process or tax, you know, planning, you know, at the end of the day, there's no huge learning curve. And so at the, they end up needing to plug in almost at that rung three, no matter what. But from a percentage standpoint, you see very little being hired at that lead advisor level. So just looking at your own business, what you have to, you know, and we've had some great success hiring at rung three and rung two and rung one, where we have, we don't even try anymore to really hire at that rung four. Because Nick, to your point, it's too many bad habits. They're too expensive. I don't want to spend a bunch of money on a lead advisor and then ultimately they're not willing to change and we just took a year training them. I would rather bring somebody in with a little less experience at a rung three and then 
develop and mentor them over a couple years at a rung three or however long it takes to then eventually become a lead advisor. And, and what you can do is if you plug in paraplanner, client service associate, or even rung three second chair, you're gonna free up your rainmakers, your lead advisors to have plenty of time to be able to take on new clients. And so at the end of the day, you know, you didn't need that lead advisor. That's good. Any, any closing questions or comments as we're laying in the plane? All right, well, thanks for joining us today. It was a fun conversation. And if anybody needs any customized help with this, please reach out and I'd be happy to jump on a call with any of you in any way I can help, you know, looking at your firm and gaps you have or any needs you have for, for us to help. So, all right, well, you guys have a great day. Interested in learning more about the topics discussed today? We want to know more about your challenges and priorities and how we can help build your custom roadmap to success. That's right, a custom roadmap built just for you. Schedule a free 20-minute consultation with one of our business development partners. Visit c2pe.info forward slash podcast to schedule a time that's good for you. That's c2pe.info forward slash podcast.